Hello, this is TREP Wire Week in Review podcast. I'm Martha Kocher with TREP. We're a data modeling and analytics firm for the CMBS commercial real estate and CLO markets. And with me is Manis Clancy, Senior Managing Director at TREP and founder of TREP Wire, and Joe McBride, head of our CRE Finance and alum of TREP Wire team. A lot has happened last week. Let's start with the big picture. In just the last 24 hours, we saw weekly jobless claims come in at 3.28 million. Congress put the finishing touches on a $2 trillion stimulus bill and the Fed engaged to keep liquidity in the market. Manus, give us an idea of what's at stake here. Well, what's at stake right now is that the big word is uncertainty. Nobody really knows how long this lasts, how long stores are closed, how long movie theaters are uh, dark, how long casual restaurants stay out of business. All of those questions remain to be answered. Those tenants make up a big portion of the collateral base behind parts of the CMBS market. And the longer they stay closed, the harder it will be for borrowers to make rent or I should say mortgage payments uh, to the deals that are securitized by them. So uh, it's really a cloudy situation right now. And pricing in this market really reflects the fact that uh, pricing risk is almost impossible. Yeah, sure, I would say this, comments. yeah, so I would jump in and say a couple of things. So just kind of anecdotally, we're already seeing a couple of kind of national chains coming out saying that they're not going to be paying rent. Um, I think it was Cheesecake Factory came out recently and said they wouldn't be making rent payments. Um, Mattress Firm, you know, they have other problems as well, but they came out and they, they said they're not going to be able to make any rent payments. Uh, you know, just on the uh, unemployment numbers, I thought a couple of staggering statistics here was that over the last 10 plus years, um, we have seen payrolls grow by 22 million jobs. I'm taking this from the Wall Street Journal article that came out this morning. And we just lost 3 million of them in two weeks. You know, that's about 13% of 10 years worth of growth gone in what seems like a blink of an eye. So, you know, I think about, uh, you know, long-term psychological impact of this, you know, and how that's going to, how that's going to affect the entire market. Um, I do think that, you know, on a, on a different note, at least this time around, everyone can point to one specific thing that's causing this. So maybe our recovery is faster uh, than the last time and then the great recession was because I think people most people in the world still don't really understand how or why that great recession happened but at least now if someone comes out if a Gilead or a Roche or somebody else comes out with a real uh, treatment for this I think you will be very quickly back to work and out of our houses and back into the restaurants and back into the movie well movie theaters maybe not so much that's a long-term downtrend but you know I think Obviously, the, the direct effects to commercial real estate are obvious. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there is kind of a broad scale moratorium on liabilities. You know, I think Freddie Mac came out with um, their 90 day forbearance announcement this week, um, saying that they're going to forbear interest payments for 90 days on all of their borrowers. Um, 
it would be interesting to see if more of that starts to happen because it wouldn't necessarily make sense to just do broad scale defaults. Right. So, I mean, what do you, th- what do you think about this compared to the last time? This is probably a conversation for another time, but at some point there will be a reckoning of exactly who's on the hook for these business interruptions. A lot of retailers have business interruption insurance, but many of those insurance clauses have force majeure um, statements in them that protect the insurer from an act of God, for example. And this is the kind of thing that could be litigated for years uh, before we really figure out who's on the hook for these uh, business interruptions and loss of revenue. And so we've seen that acutely impact uh, the hotel industry, casinos, they were the first uh, to get hit hard with this. Give us some idea of what that looks like for them. Well, the interesting thing with hotels is that we've been through one uh, crisis cycle with hotels after 9-11, and the bounce back was pretty quick. I mean, there was an absence of business travel for a long time and an absence of leisure travel uh, for a you know, considerable point of time but most of these hotels muddled through. We didn't see mass defaults uh, during the period of, you know, late 2001, 2002, the market recovered nicely. I think a lot of this has to do with how long this interruption goes on for and what kind of confidence we come back with. You know, if the numbers of infected, the number of deaths and the time frame surprises to the, you know, downside, meaning, you know, lower casualties, you know, we may see a a rebound in uh, leisure travel very quickly, business travel and so forth. If it extends, you know, April, May, June, and so forth, I I think the damage to these industries will be much more severe. What about the banks? I'll let you handle that, Joe, to start, and then I'll jump back in. Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think just generally, um, the banks have been overly capitalized uh, over the last, you know, five or six or seven years, thanks in most part due to some pretty serious regulations coming out of the last uh, recession, you know, Dodd-Frank and CCAR and stress testing. And um, I'd say a, a, a medium to heavy hand in terms of, you know, forcing banks to hold enough capital against severely adverse scenarios. Um so I think as long as defaults don't, you know, go totally off the charts and as long and, you know, honestly, too, most banks are much more uh, flexible in dealing with troubled debt than what we're used to in the CMBS market. Right. Which is very prescribed and the special servicer has to do what they need to do. Um, I think that the banks are in pretty decent shape. I saw a pretty good article in Barron's over the weekend talking about how. And I've seen this kind of line throughout all the different uh, Twitter sphere and everywhere else is that this time around, it's not the bank's fault that this is happening. And maybe the banks can be part of the solution, right? They can forbear uh, some of their uh, borrowers. They can potentially extend some extra credit where maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. They might be able to be in a position to, um, you know, help as opposed to hurt here. There are a couple of ways that banks could get hurt. And I think, you know, what Joe is really addressing is the balance sheet side of it. And that's, that's pretty well known and pretty well 
understood just how many, uh, how much exposure each of the banks has to CNI loans, to commercial real estate, and so forth. And I, I absolutely agree with Joe that that's, um, you know, banks are so much more well capitalized than they were 10 years ago that um, absent some uh, incredible recession that comes out of this, I, I think they they emerge standing on on that front. A couple of other places that you could see pain. One would be that you know banks have deals on the um, lined up, ready to take off on the landing strip. Um, you know, six or seven deals, some uh, with big sizes. Um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to casinos and to hotels that at this moment they can't sell. Right? There's no appetite for that particular kind of risk. Yet the loan has been made and is sitting on their books. We saw during the long-term capital crisis in the late 90s that at the time, Nomura had huge exposure to these types of loans. Um, They had to mark them down, and they saw a multi-billion dollar loss in the quarter for this type of reason. So you could see types of things, headlines, where one of the big CMBIS loan originators takes a big paper loss because what they're holding currently that they can't securitize, right? It's not worth par anymore. It's worth... 90 cents on the dollar or 80 cents on the dollar or something like that. The other side of it is banks are, you know, big providers of funding to warehouse lines for other originators um, and other hedge funds and so forth. And if that suffers a um, liquidity crisis, that could come back to haunt the banks as well. Right. So how is, uh, sorry, sorry, Martha. Go go ahead. No, I was going to ask, you know, that makes me think of the 2008-2009 crisis. So how different is this than what happened then? I'll let you uh, take the first crack at that, Joe. (laughs) Well, I was in college at the time, so I was only minorly (laughs) paying attention to it. So you probably know better what the vibe was, but um, I was just going to mention that, you know, we saw the um, mortgage REITs just get hammered over the last two weeks in their stock prices. And there've been a couple of stories out there and that that's kind of that underlying kind of pervasive issue that some people have been bringing up over the last few years, which is that warehouse financing of non-bank lenders. But I think that, you know, the warehouse financing is done at such a low loan to value normally that, um, there may be some margin calls, and there may be some losses on the margin, no pun intended, but uh, they seem to be in, in, you know, pretty decent shape, especially to these, you know, large institutional brand name uh, non-bank lenders that have huge, uh, you know, parent company balance sheets behind them. So that kind of longer term, that doesn't scare me too much. Um, and then in terms of, you know, Martha's question, I would say that, you know, I've, I've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but everybody knows why this is happening right now. And everybody also knows that there is a clear exit from this when people stop getting sick, when people stop dying, when we find a vaccine, when we find a potential treatment, right? The unclear part of this is, first of all, when is that going to happen? We're not sure, hopefully very soon. And then how long does it take from the psychological aspect for people to be okay with getting back out there, spending money, doing deals, 
you know, Manus mentioned um, banks that are kind of left in the lurch with deals that they've just originated that they were planning on syndicating. I think about, you know, the single family mortgage broker guy is having the best three weeks of his life, but the investment sales broker at, you know, a Cushman or a JLL or a CBRE, they're in, they're in very uncertain times right now, you know, and I think about also, I know that Houlihan Lawrence is not doing house showings in Westchester right now. So in a time of historically record low mortgage rates, we may see a drop in, you know, uh, current and new sale uh, transactions, new home sale transactions right now, which, you know, anybody that, that makes money from transactions, that's not, you know, ICE or uh, the New York Stock Exchange or something could, could be in for some hurt here for the next month or two. Yeah, from a, uh, from a human interest point of view, one of the big differences between then and now is in 2008 when things started going south, the big tell for us was normally the busy train leaving Grand Central at the end of the day was about a 6.45 p.m. train when people were finished with their work day and um, wrapped up their deals or their trading or their books or their P&Ls. And as soon as things started going south, everybody was on that Grand Central train at about 5.10 because nobody was trading, nobody was doing business, nobody was securitizing. And all of a sudden, um, there was a complete breakdown in um, commercial activity of any kind. Now, the big difference is when you get on the phone with somebody because nobody is in an office and nobody's commuting any longer, the first question you ask is, what do you have on your screen? Everybody has their split screens. On one side, it's CNBC, and the others will tell you, well, I'm rewatching the Rangers' 1994 Stanley Cup victory, <laughs> or I'm watching the Patriots' Super Bowl win from uh, 2003. So it, it's a much funnier time uh, to be talking to people, even though this, the subject matter is not funny at all. Um, but I would agree with Joe. You know, um, Back in 2008, we had – we never knew what the next shoe was going to be to drop. When Bear Stearns went down, the question is, is Lehman next? And if Lehman goes down, who do they take with them, right? Is JP Morgan at risk? Is Goldman Sachs at risk? How big is the, that kind of contagion, which is a very different contagion than what we have right now? Um, so there were very you know, severe unknowns there. And until the, the government stepped in and started backstopping, um, some of these entities like AIG and others, um, you know, the domino effect was very real. Here, as Joe said, we have a very defined problem, but until we start getting more testing and we start seeing things level off and people start talking about um, opening day for baseball again or, um, you know, Disney World getting back on its feet or other things like that, um, you know, we remain with that same type of uncertainty that we had in 2008. Like, where does it end? So, Manus, you track uh, carefully CMBS um, and, and TREP in general does. Tell me, um, for our clients, what is going on in CMBS that, that they uh, have, <clears throat> excuse me, have seen happen and what they should be watching for? Well, there's a couple of things. You know, on the primary side, on the lending side, um, I think it's safe to say that most originators 
are either not uh, quoting loans right now or they're quoting them at such punitive levels that they know that it can be taken out um, if they try to sell these notes. But, you know, transactions have really grinded to a halt. As I mentioned before, there are several deals that people expected to launch and price uh, about a half dozen of those, which are now tabled. You know, that's on the primary side. On the secondary side, we've seen a real uh, widening of spreads up and down the credit stack. Um, you know, the spreads now are at levels not seen since probably 2009. Uh, AAA 10-year paper had been spreading at about 85 or 90 basis points above spreads, above swaps uh, in January. Now those bonds are being quoted at three to 350 basis points above the swap curve. So we haven't seen that kind of number since 2009. When we saw the last dip in 2018, late 2018, we got as wide as swaps plus 150. So this is really uh, extremely wide. And then when you talk about the triple V minus uh, category, you know, maybe we were 300 over two months ago and now, you know, it's really a um, thousand over 1200 over, you know, it depends on the quality, the exposure to retail hotels and so forth. And the more of that that you have, um, the tougher it's going to be to um, value your bonds or to trade out of them uh, if you try to. And we also track um, corporate debt. Uh, tell me a little bit about what we're seeing in CLOs right now. Well, you know, there it's probably been hit harder than uh, CMBS in some ways. CMBS has the benefit of diversified pools. So you have in addition to retail and hotels, you also have offices and industrials, which are, haven't been hit as hard. You know, the CLO market is backed by leveraged loans to specific credits. Um, those credits can be to airlines, casual dining, you know, operators, movie operators, uh, cruise lines. Um, something not really impacted precisely by COVID has been oil and gas. You know, that's been partly COVID, partly, um, you know, the the cutting of price by the Saudis. But, you know, all of those have very specific targeted, you know, double B level credits that are held in CLOs. And we've seen a lot of those fall in value from, you know, 90-ish, maybe par down to 60s. Or if they were already of concern, if they're already priced at 80, now they're being priced at 40 or 30 or 20. So, um it's a real concern for that market. And I think that managers are really struggling right now with the amount of distressed paper they have to um, hold. What are the uh, long-term effects of this, uh, Joe, that you're seeing? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, just to, to tack on a couple of things, um, we are getting uh, an inordinate amount of inbound you know, from press clients, non-clients, prospects, et cetera, just trying to figure out where things should price right now um, in terms of underwriting new loans, uh, CMBS bonds, uh, and like Manis mentioned before, the underlying loans in the CLO deals, of course. Uh, this is just kind of a, a wild amount of uncertainty in where things should be pricing, especially because, um, you know, if things go back to normal in a month or two, then this is the most 
epic buying opportunity in the last 12 years. But if things don't, if it takes three or four or five months, you know, it's a totally different story. So that's, that's kind of where the uncertainty is. Um, you know, I saw something from Naycrease, uh, who's the uh, kind of the end all be all in terms of valuing commercial real estate across the US. And they were, it was some guidance on how to handle this. And I would say that, um, you know, it's still fairly unclear. You know, should uh, when I'm doing an appraisal for an, a hotel, should I be assuming, you know, three months of zero percent occupancy, or should I be assuming nine months, and or should I just be valuing it as if this COVID thing wasn't going on, because eventually it won't be going on, and that's what the value will come back to. So, just those are just a couple of things. There's probably a hundred other things that we can talk about here, but I would, you know, in terms of more macro trends, I think this has been talked about here and there, but you know, just personally, I think I'm realizing the effectiveness of working from home right now. Um, like Manis mentioned before, I've got my two screens, I got my laptop, I got my Zoom account, I got, you know, my, my cell phone. And other than being inundated with messages from 25 different messaging services all the time, uh, I do feel like I'm able to get a lot of work done. And I think if that, um, at least in the white collar world, if, if, a lot of people have that same experience, you may see, you know, the acceleration of the remote work, the acceleration of the work from home trend. And I could, I could see a scenario where, you know, four or five years from now, when corporate leases are coming up, you know, you could say, let's, let's reduce our space by 30 or 40 or 50%, because Remember that last time around when we had half the office or all the office working from home and we were just as effective, you know, so I do see that as kind of a long tail risk. Um, and then just in terms of, I think I, I may have mentioned it before, but Sandy May came out and said that they're going to be um, more open to more automated forms of appraisals being done for their new loans because they don't want appraisers going in person and, you know, potentially getting infected or infecting others. And I just think this is a, this is a small example of the broader trend of everything that previously had, had, let's say, been uh, reluctant to adopt or adapt to new technology is getting a, you know, a, a, a really a steroid shot right now, or however you would say it, right? This is the catalyst that will force um, large institutions to figure out how to do things digitally. And if we come out of this, you know, a lot of the, I would say, improvements in technology or the adoption of technology, you know, we may have just done three or four or seven years worth of adoption and improvement in a couple of months, just because we were forced to, you know, so that that can be extrapolated out to every industry. So I'll take the bear kind of case on that one. There. I'll take the I'll take yep. the alternative case on that one. I'll say, you know, as a guy who once had three kids under the age of of 24 months, I couldn't wait for that Monday morning train, that cup of coffee, and that newspaper, <laughs> because that was so stinking hard. And I think that now, because schools are out, and you're seeing families of, you know, four, five, or six, you know, in their home, cooped up. Um, parents trying to uh, keep their kids entertained. I think there's a lot of people out there saying, goodness gracious, I cannot wait till that office opens up again and these kids go back to school. And that's, uh, 
that would be, I'd say, the mitigant of this. And the longer it goes on and the fewer things, uh, gimmicks that you could pull off to keep your kids entertained, the harder it's going to be to uh, convince people that staying home is, is an efficient thing to do. Well, that's I'll, I will agree with that, Manis. Uh, but I'm very lucky to only have one right now, and my wife is uh, good enough to be watching him during the day. But I, I can totally understand what, what you're saying there. And I also, if you think about all of the um, younger millennials than me who are living in the city and living with three roommates in a, and they're sitting on their bed with their laptop all day, that's not, that's not so great. So um, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I could see we millennials could... wanting to see uh, medical records before they pick roommates in the future. <laughs> <laughs> that, might, that might be a, a potential long-term effect. Well, we could go on, but uh, we'll have to pick this up uh, next week with um, some more information. Join us as we take a look at what's happened during the week and how it may be impacting you. In the meantime, for more information and recording of this podcast, please visit www.trep.com. Thank you and stay well. All right.